0: Welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where today we will begin our discussion of Chapter 8 of Observing the Craft, the Observant Lodge.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all. Welcome to The Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com.
0: Today on The Working Tools Podcast, we have all four of our lovely hosts are here today we have very worshipful brother david colbeth from king solomon lodge number 60 in auburn washington worshipful brother stephen chung from prince charles 153 in uh colonna british columbia worshipful brother jared uh dunham of penticton 147 in penticton british columbia and i'm matt apple and i'm a member of mill creek 243 and we meet in montlake terrace washington so uh i guess my my first question is i what did you guys think of the format of this one it seemed a little more practical minded this time and it seemed like it went like he had a progression that he went through this time from the beginning of the the beginning of entering a lodge to i just whack my microphone with my hand that that's always good for an <laughs> audio recording <laughs> from there to to the the what the lodge does there seemed to be a more i don't know a direct timeline to it in my mind than there had been in previous art in previous chapters did you guys feel that yeah. way am I feel
2: no it, it was definitely a um, a great review and uh, of of the book and it was in that uh chronological kind of format um I thought it was great it was uh a lot of things in here that made me go hmm and uh it was um I'm not sure how huh? you know. I mean, if somebody, you know, when you when you find out that the, you, know, you realize that some of these things aren't actually happening in your lodge, uh, and then you wish that they were, you know, how do you go about implementing that, right? Or trying to get everybody to participate. Therein lies the challenge, I think. Yeah, I
1: would agree. I think if if the if your lodge and other members would just if they would just be open enough to agree and accept that some of these things maybe should be implemented chapter eight would probably be enough you can almost say read chapter eight as long as you don't disagree too much with that, the basics of what chapter eight saying i think chapter eight is is a whole synopsis of which is this designed to be really a synopsis of the whole book, but the the nice thing about the other chapters is that he really goes into detail and describes what it is he's explaining. That's in chapter eight. Of course, he talks about more things in chapter eight, but there's there's significant. There's definitely a uh, a review process there. You know, it's it's Jared's giving me the funky look though.
3: Well, no, I my takeaway is that chapters one through seven are the observant Mason chapter eight mm-hmm. is how you bring it all together. Okay. So it's like, so for me, chap- you need what chapters one through seven, because this is what you should do. And this is, and then chapter eight is this is what your lodge will be like when all of you do what I tell you to do. <laughs> That's a good yeah. fast master, Jared. That's a good fast master. <laughs> I,
0: that's actually a good observation. I, I I found this one to be a little less strident too than some of the other ones. Like he even says, you know, just because someone doesn't wear their tie it doesn't mean you have to throw them out of lodge. And you know, they have couple, to. <laughs> there are a couple of things like that that sort of he he seemed to, like I said, it was a little less strident. But he softened the blow a bit of of some of his assertions that the previous chapters.
2: Yeah, but you know he. In all throughout it, though he did uh, emphasize, you know, maintaining the highest of standards in in every aspect of it, which I think you know is essential for a quality lodge experience. You know, um, you get I uh, well, get several pages in now, but um, you know, observance is a choice followed by a commitment to action. Right. And so you really do have to have the buy-in from your whole lodge to, um, if you want it to be a representation of what this book refers to it as. Right. You know, one of the things early on, he, he mentions,
1: he was talking about the dues and that kind of thing. And, but in the very, in the first, first couple of pages, he seems to cross over a bit to talk about the temple and the repair of the temple and the refurbishment and that kind of stuff. And that dues should be sufficient to cover that. And I guess I always think that we, those are separate. Temple boards or building boards and building management is separate from the lodge, really, experience. And so I'm just curious. I wrote that are we unique as Washington in that era, in that respect, that we have a strict def, def, defining line between temple boards and the lodge and so the temple board is really responsible now the temple board may have to go to the body if it's a single-use building or something to affect may have to go to the body and say hey we need money and the only way to get that money is either through an assessment or, or dues i suppose but i we try to detach our dues from the building so they aren't really part of it the do you know the building <clears> our, our situation should pay for
3: itself and if it doesn't then should we really have a building boy is yours yours is yours a, a, a single use building? It's not. We're fortunate. We're fortunate like so I think I think what he's talking about here are lodges like my old lodge where it was a a one one single use building with one lodge in it. yeah I don't I don't and then that here happened there, there's quite a few lodges that are like that that are sure. you know they have a lodge hall. They're the only lodge that meets in that hall. So, and can it could it not be used for rentals at all? Any kind of public most rest- most most of the single use lodge halls that I've been in don't really have. I mean, they they might have a small banqueting room that could be used for something, but they're not really rentable to other things. Um, they're usually they they usually they've been around for a while, and they were really they were built back when the lodge was had large had large enough attendance or membership to cover the cost of that.
2: Yeah, and and I don't know, in our district, we have um, more mu- uh, multi-use ones. Like in Armstrong, they have a, a liquor store that rents out the space down below. In Kelowna, we've got four stores uh, that have retail space. Uh, in Enderby, it's a single use. Um, I believe in Salmon Arm, it's a single use as well. Um, but they have the whole bottom floor for their banquet room. And so, you know, uh, and they're probably old enough that they have enough money to not worry about that. Right. Um, I think Revelstoke even has um, tenants down below retail tenants. Right. So well, a, uh, that lends the question. You said that the lodge has enough money.
1: Well, how does it have enough money? And the years past it charged significant enough to have built a war chest to cover the building costs. And now the new members get to ride for free on the coattails of the past masons.
2: <laughs> well, I think in some of them, I've heard that they the, some of them have been bequeathed money from past members that have passed on and sure. left money to the lodge. Sure. Um, and, uh, and also some of them were, I mean, back in the railroad days, they, you know, I mean, they did build up quite the war chest for that, um, those things back then too right so um but it it does it does make you think about the ones now um uh if they you know if they had mortgages or if they had things that they had to worry about other than the uh, regular maintenance uh it would be a lot more challenging i'm sure
1: yeah i think you had talked when we were in shows past we talked about the cost of dues and we did an analysis of all of our lodges in our areas and And you had mentioned so simply that it was just too easy that, you know, we'd add up all our costs and divide it by the number of members. And that's what our dues are. And so I wonder in those single use buildings, are they really truly analyzing the total cost of the running that building? You know, if it costs a hundred thousand dollars to, for it to pay taxes and maintenance expectations and all the lights and utilities and all that stuff. And and then divided by a hundred members, is it really charging a thousand dollars a year to the member to really pay for it? Or are they depending on that, Worchest, they
2: bequeathed,
1: and all the other.
2: Good question. Do you know? Do you know uh, your history the, uh, in the Jared? Do you know what it was like for Headley and whatnot?
3: You I mean, like, how did they or, do the budgeting?
2: It, well, yeah. Did, these, I mean, things? how did they no. cover these things? Did they have exorbitantly high dues, or
3: no? <laughs> <laughs> no, they weren't exorbitant. None of us have exorbitantly high dues.
1: Yeah. It's just—it's fascinating to me how things have changed over the years. Whether they have money or not, many lodges are just getting—they just—they don't pay attention. They think, "Oh, you know, we don't realize it's going to cost hundred thousand dollars to fix that roof, yeah. and
3: in twenty years, and so they're not planning for it." More often than not, it's because whoever—I'm going to digress. More often than not, it's because the person who's sitting in the chair doesn't really understand the concept of budgeting. Hmm. Well, we'll talk about that later in the chapter, right?
1: <laughs> Maybe. And and essentially in those lodges that are single use, while well, the master, well, they're, do you, so let me ask in those, I, don't, I know I'm, I know what I'm probably focusing on this way too much, but in those lodges that have are, are single use, do they still have a temple board or does the lodge function as the temple board, the oversight? Do you have uh, a group uh, the a committee that runs the building?
3: My understanding uh, is, is that... Little- you, the couple of times I've dealt with it, there's been it, it's it's they separate the te- the building, they separate the the temple board from the lodge, yeah. so they are they're even in single use. There's usually because we had to do that up here <clears throat> in it because the problem is is that up here in BC, a a, a masonic lodge can't technically own a building because they don't technically exist. So we had to set up not not for profit or yeah not for profit organizations in order to technically own the buildings. Yeah. So it it's kind of a legal thing we have to do more than anything else. Sounds familiar. <laughs> well,
1: so. the reason I ask is that while in some lodges, the master is in charge of the lodge, even if there's a board, many times the master is in charge of the board and it kind of runs the whole thing. And then yeah. they fluidly talk amongst the lodge. will talk about, I mean, we go to district meetings. And inevitably, when the lodge master gets up or whoever their representatives gets up to talk about how their lodge is doing, inevitably, they talk about their building and the things that are happening with their building. Right. That really has nothing to – should have nothing to do with – although it could affect the success of the lodge because of their actions and their costs and those kind of things. But anyway, it's just – it's always fascinating to talk about that stuff for me anyway. Maybe not everybody else. (laughs) It just he he talks about it and and what the, having a quality experience, which would also in turn relay to a quality building and quality right. facilities and all those kind of things. So,
3: but I think the point he was trying to make more than that was the fact that our financial obligations are too often divided amongst other yes. bodies, and that, that if we actually, because an observant he always makes that point is that you know the symbolic lodge is the end all and be all, and that. If we want a healthy lodge, you focus on that. And that if we actually spent our, t- our time and resources focusing on that, our experiences would be better. Yeah. And I think that's the point. That's why he brought up the buildings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that there's any chance that we could get, even myself, if
1: I were to say, I'm going to spend $1,000 at Scottish Rite, would I also in turn make a in-kind donation to my lodge for $1,000? Right. i I bet we would i bet if we
3: were to make those statements to all the people that are concordant group well invariably that's always the argument that comes up whenever we talk about well we we should raise our dues and everyone's like oh you know i'm already paying and i'm like you're not paying us that money so that don't become part of the conversation
1: right right yeah lots of dirty looks when that happens Yep. Yep. Actually, we,
2: we actually just, uh, raised our dues 25, but, or, well, we just, uh, there's a notice of motion coming, or there was a notice of motion put forth that we will be raising our dues, uh, 25 bucks to $200 a year.
0: 200. (laughs) You're so cheap.
2: Yeah. And, And not, not, not one guy balked about it in, in our, uh, in our meeting. I mean, and but i mean you consider what you're paying for all these other things and then one guy stands up and said for those who golf uh you know some of them spend more than $2500 a year in golf right? yep. and and that's just for casual uh golfing not that's not even a membership right so um you know he threw that out as a comparison and didn't hear a peep from anybody else <laughs> yep. right yeah. we just raised ours to eight
1: times minimum wage which is about 150 bucks and i think it should have been 10 <clears throat> just to make math easier but even at that it's at 10 at 100 even at
3: 10 times it's still not probably enough yeah, really. 360 dollars a year should be the minimum
2: 20 bucks a, a, a day
3: what is that 30 bucks a month
2: and how'd you come to that
3: it's slightly less than a, less, less than a dollar a day mm. that night i honestly i mean where else could like i don't know i just but what, I mean, if you think, but, if but, you then added, he
2: does, but then he does pose the question, are you giving them value for that? Right.
3: Well, and that's the thing is and that's what we always say whenever this discussion comes up is that there's a, but so it, but then it becomes a chicken and the egg thing is that you can't, you can't do good sit down proper meals yeah, without it costing. And if they're not going to pay for it until you, they have the good and proper meat, like you can't, you know, but yeah. Matt's <clears throat> yeah, being my, very
1: quiet. When I when the subject of dues and stuff come up, I always say I think dues should be twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars a year, which would automatically include uh, a quality meal mm-hmm. at your every meeting, probably ten mm-hmm. meetings a year, and then you should have it should include your grand lodge costs. It could be like a hundred to one hundred fifty dollars to the grand lodge, which would be f- four times almost what we charge what we are charged now it could be $100 to the grand master or the grand lodge charity which in our case was washington services they would automatically include a ticket to our lodge officers our lodge uh, leadership retreat and then another ticket to some which i always wanted to have a fall symposium of some kind which i think we're kind of morphing in we're going to promote the esoteric conference maybe uh in are in place of that but Some major events, good quality dinners, charitable or uh, philanthropic donations, some Grand Lodge costs, things like that. And then there'll still be money left over for the lodge to do things with what they want to do with.
2: Yep. And maybe if somebody paid that much in their annual dues, they might actually show up on a regular basis, you know, because then the other guys, they'll they'll bitch and complain. Why am I going to pay for all these meals when I don't go there? Right. Well, start showing up. You know, maybe, maybe to, we get that commitment level out of them instead of the excuses all the time.
3: So that actually brings up an interesting one of the things that I underlined. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. For this is uh, I underlined the, the sentence where he says that uh, one's attendance in lodge is part of one's obligation as a mason. <laughs> so like always, so if you don't go to lodge, you're not a mason.
2: No, that's not what he's saying but that's the part of the obligation or part of your uh, obligation to the lodge is participation, right? When, when they talk about, you know, uh, guarding the West gate and, and um, you know, explaining to the postulant, the um, uh, commitments are, uh, expected, you know, when I, I'm the first guy that meets every seeker that comes to our door unknown. And it's one of the first uh, at, I cover that at the first meeting now every single time. Yes, your work and your family come before Lodge, right? And they should always be more important than Lodge to you. However, when you are joining the Lodge, it is expected that you know our, our meetings are the second and fourth Monday of every month and that we expect you to participate. You will not get out of Lodge anything if you don't attend regular and uh you know so that is a minimum expectation there and then i go into you know ddgm official visits and installations and and visiting and um so you know uh real commitments your average mason in our district is out three to four times a month your your busier masons in our district are out, you know, three times a week, right? Uh, but in our in our district, in District Nine, um, your average attending Mason, your participating Mason, is out at lodge three to four times a month.
3: Visiting right? shouldn't be mandatory. No, it's it's not mandatory. But you just said that that's you're out no. four
2: times a month. No, no, I said the average Mason is is out, right? visiting doing other things you're saying the average
3: the average mason the average mason should should only feel obligated to go to their meetings
2: yes that's their minimum obligation is what i tell them i said but you know those who are looking for brotherhood and those who are looking for um you know the fraternal aspect you're only going to get that if you visit now you know then i said you know you can get burnout i talk about burnout and doing way too many things right um, and so I, I cover all, spe- all aspects of the spectrum from your two meeting a month guy to your, you know, four, four meetings a week, right. Kind of guy. Right. And so I, you know, I talk about worrying about burnout and then I talk about the, you know, all the concordant bodies that are going to be knocking on your door after you're a master Mason and don't, and don't be in a hurry, but, um, don't join at all. Yeah, or yeah, or don't join, don't join at all if you're not um, prepared to make a commitment.
1: But shouldn't the lodge be having their regular meetings plus other coordinated events that in in some respect might take up that yeah. time, not a, not he
3: wouldn't be able to travel because he's busy yeah. with his lodge. And it and it an, I, I feel that in an ideal in an ideal world, your lodge should have something going every week. The In between world. between your board of general purposes and your regular and I almost said emancipated, but that's not right. <sighs> regular and what's the other kind of emergent. meeting? Emergent. Thank you. The other e word. The regular and emergent meetings and but but yeah and practices. You should be going to your lodge usually about once a week.
2: Yeah. Yep. In the perfect world, yep.
3: Well, ideal world. Yeah, Yeah, in an ideal Um, situation, we're gonna we're starting to do that. I actually, I finally, well, no, I'm gonna go off on it. Head finally, finally got them to agree to do ritual practice.
2: Excellent, excellent. Some guys need to do that more often, right? Uh, And um, actually, what we've done, uh, one of the things that we're doing in our mentorship program is that we're planning on meeting on the emergent meeting night for uh, helping the Uh, candidates doing their prove up work and other guys doing their ritual work um, on those nights and then if we happen to have an emergent meeting that has to happen then we won't won't have that practice night we'd probably reschedule for another night but uh, we're scheduling them that way anyways
3: no just keep doing it even if you're not having the meeting have the practice
2: yeah, no, that's what we're, that's what I'm saying. We're going to have the practices unless a meeting is to take place.
3: Oh, right? I see what you said.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we are going to use that night, and, and uh, those that want to practice their ritual can come to that night, and there will be somebody there from the mentorship program to help them. Um, all the candidates that are going through, and that are working on their memory work for uh, their prove-ups, that'll be the night that we do that we used to do them every thursday right uh, and uh but we thought you know what we schedule ourselves for the second and fourth monday let's use that fourth monday if it's not being used for a regular me- uh, for an emergent meeting right so now just trying to get back on point um matt's been real quiet but he's smiling in the background you got anything to, to, uh that you want to bring up in this uh first part of this chapter
0: um i i there i was no i guess is the short answer there's nothing that comes to mind i was i mean i said my two pieces right in the beginning there there's uh definitely i guess i was amused by the the conversation going off the track but <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it's not not really necessarily off track. We're talking about, you know, petitioners and, and the Westgate and whatnot. But, you know, the, the, uh, the other thing, the other aspect of what the, what he goes into here is, um, you know, once a petition is received and accepted for ballot, then there's the the committee that goes out, you know, we do a lot of work. Uh, We meet like uh, we've got, I try to have each postulant meet, or we call him a seeker, uh, meet with three different members of the lodge before we'll even give him the memory test. And we won't accept his petition until he's successfully completed a memory test, right? Um, And then we send out the visitation committee um, after we've received the petition right? So, you know, there's lots of opportunities for us to, you know, answer the difficult questions to um, give lots of input and feedback as to the expectations of Lodge um, and and commitments, right? So um, I think that's one thing that we're doing very well at now, uh, which we may not have been as diligent and good at that before. What I understand is <clears throat> he talks
1: about when meeting with the master meeting with somebody the doesn't the master and if the basically if it doesn't seem to jive the conversation doesn't seem to jive he talks about placing them in a different lodge
2: yes i think
1: and i think why is it okay for him to be a mason in a different lodge but not in his in your own I and mean, i get that the intent is that there's different cultures in the different lodges i get that but ultimately does a guy really I, I think we've all would admit that our expectations have changed good or bad over the years. And I am not the same person or Mason that I was when I first joined. And so if I had joined a different lodge that I thought was what I thought I wanted and then didn't deliver it, or maybe it's like, well, I'm not ready for this. Am I not going to attend? And so I, I don't, the idea that there's, such drastic differences between lodges still troubles me. I know I'm not looking for the McDonald's of Freemasonry, but I still think, and he talks about it, that that the standards of Freemasonry were developed for that kind of that purpose, right? That there's supposed to be some bit of standardization among lodges. And I think, yes, there can be some varying degrees of quality and of, Culture and customs that each lodge might produce. But there should be, it shouldn't be a completely different experience, in my opinion, from lodge to lodge. You shouldn't go, well, they didn't teach me that or didn't do that for me. Well, why didn't they? I mean, I, Matt's got his mouth open for questions, so I'll stop there. <laughs> I think I would say that the,
0: admittedly, the point of this book is that. I think that uh, Brother Hammer would like all lodges to be observant lodges. But I think in practice, in the short run at least, that a genuinely observant lodge along these lines would stick out from 95, 98, 99.9999% of other lodges. And so you would have, you know, if this guy's looking for the backslappy fraternal masonry that that existed 20 years ago, or whatever it was that there's you know this lodge might not be for him kind of thing i i I disagree i think there's there are differences in lodges i mean if you just look at my lodge versus whatever esoterica there are significant differences there
2: What? how do you mean
0: well they're more along this observant line of you know more certain things are expected writing essays between degrees i don't exactly know everything so i'm probably going to say something dumb out of ignorance that does not not exactly jive with their expectations but they're much more along this line and my lodge is not
2: (laughs) and therefore if one showed up in
0: one or the other looking for the other then
2: so so you know i just gotta add this in there before we um you know wrap this topic up there i'm i'm of the mindset like david I, i don't I think we should all be the same and I don't think there's a reason. The only reason that I I think somebody would, or I would refer somebody to another lodge is if they, you know, they were like, for example, an ex uh, RCMP. And there was another lodge that had a whole bunch of ex RCMP. He might feel a little more at home there. He might feel a little more uh, connected to those brothers. Um, But, in general terms, um, I think we're all we're, we're all offering the same thing, and we all should be, um, and if we're not, well, then to me, that's an affinity type lodge, and um, if they're looking for a particular thing like education or, or uh, you know, they want to delve into things, there are other bodies, once they become a, a Master Mason, like the Ashler College, um, where we can point them to that or um, things along those lines, right? Where you can give them a little direction and, and uh, there's education lodges now, which are uh, a group of guys from different lodges putting on, you know, more focused things. And I think uh, other than that though, I think general lodges are all the same or should be.
1: I think we should come back and talk more about this.
2: I think you're right. Cause we can go deep on that.
0: I I think my hand has been called. So uh, thank you all for listening to the Working Tools Podcast. As always, please feel free to comment, or not just feel free to, but feel obligated to comment on our uh, YouTube and uh, social media uh, platforms. And on behalf of David and Stephen and Jared and myself, uh, thank you all for listening to the Working Tools Podcast. Goodbye.